0: Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We're here to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. We look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues, and gut health cancers, lung and heart issues and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's episode in our series on transportation and mobility. And today we're gonna to be talking about which are the worst polluters, cars or planes. I recently read an article in Forbes and they stated, a usurper has come forth and claimed the throne of top polluter in the US. And they were talking about transportation. They said transportation now looks down upon all of us from its high podium within the whitish gray clouds made up of the evaporated tears of climate change researchers and of pollution, of course. The U.S. Energy Information Administration also published in their monthly energy report data showing that the transportation sector has overtaken other sectors when it comes to carbon emissions. And it's no surprise, When you think about the mind-boggling number of cars, trucks, buses, ships, and planes, all of them burning various types of fuels in ever-increasing numbers. So we see now that the transportation industry, for the first time in almost 40 years, has overtaken energy production as the biggest polluter in the United States. And here with us today, first up, To help us understand this more is Dr. John B. Hayward. Dr. Hayward has been a faculty member at MIT since 1968, where he has been a Sanjay Professor of Mechanical Engineering, as well as Director of the Sloan Automotive Laboratory. His interests are focused on internal combustion engines, their fuels, and broader studies of future transportation technology and policy, as well as fuel supply options, and air pollutants and greenhouse gas emissions. Dr. Haywood has published over 230 papers in technical literature, and he's also the author of six books, including a new edition of his major text and professional reference called Internal Combustion Engine Fundamentals. He has a PhD from MIT and a doctorate from Cambridge University. Welcome, Dr. Haywood. We're so glad you could join us today. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Indeed. Now, on our broadcast last week, Dr. Haywood, our guest gave our listeners a broad overview of environmental and health issues around transportation and mobility, and they talked a lot about how those issues seem to aggregate around pollution caused by the transportation that we use, of course, to facilitate our mobility. So today, we want to focus in on our most predominant modes of transportation and their environmental and their attendant health issues. And that is, of course, the perennial debate about which of the worst polluters, cars, or automotive vehicles are planes. Now, Dr. Harry, I would like for you to first help us out with this from the environmental perspective. But first, I want to add some clarity to what may be a commonly held misconception by me, and perhaps others, and that is that we tend to think that cars and SUVs and trucks and buses are all automotive vehicles, and that they're mostly the same as it relates to transportation pollution. But you say they are starkly different. So tell us more about that, would you? Yes.
1: There are lots of different types of vehicles, and you've listed those, and that gets us started. But let's step back into how do we propel these vehicles to carry us as passengers, to carry our goods, our purchases as freight. Let's go to what engines do they use and then what fuels. And most of the cars in this country, the United States, use gasoline engines where combustion of the fuel inside the engine is started by a spark. They're called spark ignition engines. Now, the big trucks use a different type of internal combustion engine, the diesel. The diesel operates differently in how it burns the fuel and in terms of how it produces air pollutants. And then, of course, planes have a different type of engine. They use jet engines, gas turbines, to push them through the air. Now, the fuels. Well, gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel, they're both quite similar, but also have significant differences. And when we talk about these pollutants that we're concerned about, we'll get to the differences. But they all contain lots of carbon and therefore they are a similar source of greenhouse gas emissions of which transportation is the biggest source of CO2, carbon dioxide. So that's that. Now, if we think about which is worst, well, If I drive a mile in my car or I'm flying to New York per mile, the CO2 that's emitted by this one passenger, me, going one mile, they're surprisingly similar. But of course, my typical car trip is 5 to 10 miles. My typical plane trip is several hundred to even a few thousand. So the impact depends on how I'm traveling, how big the vehicle, how long is my trip, how other factors like how many people are like me in driving their car, how many people are like me in flying in a commercial plane. And and all of those things are different and you've got to bring all of those things together to get the impact. So it's an unanswerable question, but overall, cars, SUVs, light trucks, uh, pickup trucks, they're 60% of the greenhouse gas emissions. Freight, the big trucks mainly, they're 25%. Aircrafts, maybe 10, 12, a little higher, it's grow, it has been growing. And then the rest is sea, motorbikes, small stuff, but real. So you could say, yes, it's light-duty vehicles, cars, pickup trucks, SUVs that are the worst source, and, and we as the general public, of course, are responsible for that.
0: Yeah, because we, we are in them and we're driving them. Tell us more, though, about what the major pollutants are that these are emitting. What are those major pollutants? What are their causes? And what are the other ways that they harm or degrade our environment? The major pollutants,
1: let's start with something we haven't yet mentioned, which is the, the air pollutants that back in the 1960s got us sausage looking at what really goes on inside these engines in a detailed way. And we learned a lot, and I was very involved in that. It was exciting stuff to learn. I remember. And there are different pollutants, and they have different impacts. The biggest ones are the hydrocarbons and the combinations of oxygen and nitrogen, oxides of nitrogen that react in the atmosphere to form smog, The key ingredient we talk about is ozone. Yes. What smog does is it attacks stuff. It attacks the inside of my lungs, my throat, my eyes, makes them water. It attacks plants, trees, all kinds of vegetation. It attacks other animals just like it attacks us. It attacks materials because these oxidants like ozone are very reactive.
0: And quickly, because we gotta go to break here. But I did want people to understand the difference between smog and ozone. I think most of us know. You see the the gray, cloudy stuff. That's smog. And we here in North Texas have been for like 15 or more years under an ozone non attainment level. So we hear ozone and. I know I and other allergy sufferers feel ozone, but we don't see it like we do the smog. And so I was just trying to get people to really get a sense of the difference.
1: The ozone is the one thing we can readily measure. So we oh, okay. measure that to define how bad the smog is. But smog is the problem, and it's more than just ozone.
0: We're going to go to break now. Thank you so much. We've been with Dr. John Hayward from MIT, and we will be right back after the break for him to tell us more of these interesting elements of transportation pollution. Thank you. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience promoting environmental awareness through expo conferences film festival and interactive experiences. And this week, they're just finishing up on their World Ocean Day Summit, which was from the 9th through the 11th, and you can now catch on their website, EarthX.org. For EarthX, Earth Day is every day. So join the movement, keep in touch, and add to the conversation at EarthX Lead. Go to EarthX.org to register and start talking. Our other sponsor is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green Healthy and Sustainable Living Authority, or the DSW Metroplex. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found now in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, and sunflower shops, as well as online at nadallas.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We're back on our transportation segment, talking with Dr. John Haywood from MIT, and he is an automotive transportation and fuels emission and combustion specialist. And he has been helping us to unpack the difference between smog and ozone. And as I understand it, smog is worse but we can measure ozone. And again, ozone is something we here in North Texas know about. So thank you for helping us with that. You said that ozone is what we know about because we can measure it. And it basically measures smog. But you also mentioned traffic congestion as well as our purchasing habits in some of your writings as being contributors to our transportation pollution problems here in the U.S. Can you talk more about that?
1: Well, yes. To emit pollutants, we have to use our cars, drive them. Our trucks bring us our goods. We fly on planes. So the more we do, the more we drive, travel, purchase, the worse the emissions. How do we deal with that and the other problems? Well, that's only one of transportation's problems, and congestion is... One, that everybody gets frustrated by, certainly those who live in urban areas. And we got to try and find ways to deal with that. And really, the only way to deal with congestion is to use our vehicles less, so there are less on the roads, so the volume of traffic goes down, because we're right at a point where congestion gets worse rapidly with more traffic, it'll get better significantly with less traffic. And and one of the interesting things that our pandemic has underlined for us is that if we, few of us go to work at the same time, rush hour, then it's amazing how much better congestion is. And so I think one thing we can think about going forward is change our attitudes to work, and we've realized that working from home, flexible working are all possible. Let's look into that, because that may really help us with congestion. And that's people's number one problem with transportation. But urban air pollution, mixed in the United States, but worse in in many other parts of the world for a variety of reasons, they just don't have the opportunity to clean up their vehicles. We've done quite well And and so greenhouse gas emissions, it's, it's really hard to get that down because more travel, more emissions, is the technology that's much better? Well, we're bringing in electric vehicles. They're better. They're not much better. And so we're struggling to find options that really would be significantly less emitting.
0: Well, a good part of that is I am seeing them over the last 10 years go down significantly in price and so that's a good thing and all major manufacturers are making an electric version of some of their cars so i think that's a good thing as well i want to go back to smog because you were saying too how smog just overlays and harms not just our bodies but plant life as well how do they interact or degrade our plant life I don't think we don't typically think of the smog affecting our plant life, which then is going to move on down to affecting our food and eating life. So tell us a little bit more about that, if you would.
1: Well, I mentioned that molecules like ozone, when they come in contact with surfaces, attack those surfaces because they're strong oxidizing agents. Uh, And if you think of what's the common oxidizing, you light a match, it burns. You light a bonfire, it burns. It burns. So in its extreme combustion sense, oxidation clearly does damage. The wood is gone. Now, the attack on surfaces of plants, uh, inside my lungs, things like that, materials, stone, they go at varying rates, but the surface gets attacked by the chemical action of these reactive molecules. It's not just ozone, there are other more complicated molecules in the smog that do similar things.
0: So what would be some of the other pollutants other than, than, than ozone that we can see or measure or feel that are creating a negative impact on the environment in which we live? Well, one is
1: uh, what I call oxides of nitrogen. That's combining a nitrogen atom with oxygen. Nitrogen's stable, unreactive stuff. It's four-fifths of our atmosphere. We breathe it all the time. But if you take the two nitrogen atoms that form the molecule and you break them apart, it takes a lot of energy. You have to, in a sense, burn the air so it gets to a very high temperature. That's what comes out in the exhaust. And that nitrogen atom combined with other things is highly reactive, whereas the nitrogen molecule, because two of those atoms came together, they were happy. One nitrogen atom is not. So in a sense, we're setting up a situation where we've got nitrogen that's aggrieved, it's been radicalized, and that's a chemical term. And so it's nasty stuff to have around, and Europe has been suffering particularly because they brought in all these diesel engine cars, and they are high emitters of nitrogen oxides. They've been suffering from high levels of nitrogen oxides in their urban atmospheres. They shot themselves in the foot.
0: At one point, it's been many years ago, diesel was a big deal here. And of course, I think even all of us ordinary people have always seen it though as a nasty type of smoke-emitting type thing. I think when it was a big deal here, it may have been for cost or something like that. But I think what you're saying here is the other thing. It's exhaust. Is the You call it nitrogen oxide, whatever. We call it exhaust. It's a trace component in the exhaust. In the so exhaust. it's
1: not anywhere near a, a large part of the exhaust, but it's there in enough so that in the atmosphere when it's been emitted and then diluted, it can be. it is damaging
0: to human health. It's toxic. Exactly. Try standing outside of an exhaust of a truck. It's certainly not fun. And for those of us who are sensitive and have allergies, we know it particularly well.
1: And we live in nice suburbs. I do. Air pollution's not that big a deal. But I've been on panels hearing the broader public, those who live close to bus stations with all the nasty diesel exhaust emissions, they're very upset with diesel engines in buses, and they should be.
0: Dr. Haywood, what kinds of things or technologies, though, do you see on the horizon that might be able to help us revolutionize our transport-related pollution?
1: Well, in terms of air pollution, we've done a good job with gasoline engine cars, light trucks, SUVs. We've got very effective catalysts that go into the exhaust system, and they get rid of the stuff in the exhaust that would pollute. To Isn't a that the infamous
0: catalytic converter?
1: <laughs> well, I, we shouldn't call them infamous. We should bless
0: their hearts
1: because they've really helped solve that problem. There are a lot of gasoline engine cars, and they have really cleaned them up to a major degree. Now, diesels are much diesel engines are much tougher, and that's where Europe shot itself in the foot by allowing through cheaper diesel fuel, less taxes, uh, them to spread. France had 75% diesels in its uh, light vehicle fleet. That's really
0: high. Is that where I'm seeing, I know here in North Texas, with our Clean Air Authority, I get a lot of information from them about LNG or some various types of other fuels, and those are usually aimed at the transport trucks. Is that relevant there? Liquid
1: natural gas is one potential fuel for really large trucks. To have liquid natural gas with all the uh, uh, flasks to keep it cool and the refrigeration equipment on board a car would not be sensible. But a big truck's a big vehicle, so it's got space. Now, it doesn't look that promising and could be cheaper. So we're going to have to pay more for all the things that we order from Amazon because the cost of trucking will go up. It's not so clear also that it's really practicable because if you saw natural gas in a facility that would um, refuel from liquid, you lose 1% a day. I watch your story.
0: So as we wrap up though, Dr. Haywood, let me ask you, talking about and looking at the COVID nineteen and how it's impacting transportation pollution, can you tell us very briefly, do you see any benefits going forward from this, from COVID and what we've been through that you anticipate or even hope for?
1: Well, I mentioned one already that we've really learned that if you if you stop the work traffic, you really help congestion. But we can't live with stopped work traffic, so we've got to find ways of, in the sense, not going back to full speed and full stream. Can we really reduce it by 10% or so? That problem, it's likely that that will get a boost because we're not going to climb back that quickly to our normal transportation levels. Maybe
0: never. Well, indeed. And I think we will also see a remnant left of some of the work from home. It may be as little as 5% or 10% that maintain the work from home status, and that's going to provide some benefits as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Haywood. I really appreciate you being with us. There's always not enough time, and we look forward to having you back for sure. Thank you so much. We're going to wrap up this section, and we'll be back after the break with Dr. Matt Zoom as we continue this conversation about the worst polluters, cars, or planes. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, and my pleasure.
0: Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We are here resuming and going to part two of our show today on transportation and mobility, talking about which are our worst polluters, cars, or planes. Now, in addition to the noise pollution, the urban sprawl, traffic congestion, the environmental impact of air pollution from cars, trucks, and buses is also split into primary and secondary pollution, which can have major, major effects on our health. Primary pollution is emitted directly into the atmosphere, and then secondary pollution results from, as Dr. Hayward just talked about, results from the chemical reaction between pollutants in the atmosphere. We see that fetuses, newborn children, and people with chronic illnesses are especially susceptible to the effects of air pollutants, and of course, at every stage of life, and it can even cause premature death. But the impacts of climate change driven by global warming emissions also affect people's health and the well-being of entire communities. And here to help us unpack this more and to help us explore this and really understand it so we can affect our own daily lives is Dr. Max Zing. And he says it's okay for me to call him Max because I will probably end up Texasizing his last name, (laughs) so Max. (laughs) He is a PhD, and he's with Cornell's Sibley School of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering. His research interests are varied, and he studies the effects of airborne particulate matters and gaseous pollutants on air quality, as well as climate change and ecosystem. And he uses numerical models and experimental techniques to do this. One particular area he's working on is environmental nanoparticles. Nanoparticle pollution affects public health by depositing deeper in our lungs and moving into the blood circulation. Another major area of Max's research interest is sustainable energy systems and determining new technologies that will greatly facilitate the transition to a more reliable, secure, efficient, and clean power system. Welcome, Max. We're so glad that you could join us today.
2: Thank you for having me
0: here. Max, as we continue to explore the connection between human health and transportation and mobility, and looking at the worst polluters, that is, automotives and planes, From your position as an active research scientist, can you tell us which of these you think are the worst polluters from the health perspective, and tell us how and why, and discuss for our listeners some of the climate impacts of this?
2: I think, uh, you you know, you really have to think about how you look at this. So I'd like to share three perspectives. First one is that, you know, as uh, Dr. Hable just, you know, mentioned, uh, if you look at the the absolute quantity of emissions, uh, vehicle emissions uh, definitely outweigh uh, air, you know, aircraft emissions. So, you know, like uh, Dr. Hill mentioned, so the if you look at, you know, for example, look at the, the United States greenhouse gas emissions, uh, the uh, vehicle, uh, including the light duty, you know, being heavy duty, account for about eighty uh, percent of the total emissions, and uh, aircraft only ten percent. So. Overall, right, so the aircraft, you know, vehicle mission outweighs aircraft mission. This is my first perspective. The second perspective here is, uh, if we talk about air quality, uh, we are talking about the human exposure, that really depends on uh, where you live or where you work, right? So if you live uh, next to a basic uh, airport, uh, definitely the aircraft emissions, you know, dominates uh, all the other sources, uh, you know, Uh, By contrast, if you live in, you know, next to a bay, the intersection or highway, and uh, vehicle emission definitely, you know, dominates. So uh, because the air pollution are not, uh, you know, uh, is not homogeneously distributed, so depending on where you are, so the the sources, you know, contribute to your exposure vary. Uh, This is my second perspective. Uh, The third one is uh, in terms of climate change, I think, uh, vehicle emissions and uh, aircraft missions, they play different roles. You know, they all—you know—for example, they all contribute to the greenhouse gas emissions. But at the same time, uh, I think a very interesting example here is the uh, in the climate community, there's a major concern over uh, something called a, a contrail uh, from aircraft emissions. So contrail is a word you know uh, combining condensation and uh, trails, right? Okay. Uh, so Basically, all the you know uh, the majority of the hydrogen in the fuel uh, will be converted to water, okay. after, you know, after the combustions. Uh, at higher altitude, uh, altitude, and it, uh, so the water vapor will quickly condense on the uh, uh, particulates uh, from combustions and form ice nucleates. Right? So, and then you can see this, you know almost like a, you know, service type of cloud, uh, you know, which we call the control. Uh, so typically cloud has a two impact, you know, two, uh, two effects on the climate change. On one hand, they can reflect uh, solar radiation uh, back to the space. Uh, but on the other hand, if you look down, they can also trap uh, the long wave radiation from the surface. So they have both the warming, the cooling impact and warming, warming impact. Just turn out to be uh, those control has a much major warming impact than the cooling impact. So and scientists find out that uh, those control, because there's you know there's so much uh, air traffic, uh, they actually their climate impact dominates the greenhouse gas uh, emissions directly from the aircraft. Thank
0: you. And and really, th- this is some new information, and I hope our listeners get it. Because you're saying that while the automotive vehicles create probably the worst pollution down here where we are, in the atmosphere, the airplanes are creating perhaps a lot more havoc going directly to climate change because of the emissions. But it's about proximity, where they are.
2: I would say they are they are both important. You know, only ten percent of the air quality emission actually occur uh, at uh, ground level or lower altitudes, and you know, you know, right. below three thousand feet. And the ninety percent actually emitted, uh, you know, at much much higher.
0: I think people probably don't tend to think about that. Most of us think about all of the nasty that's coming out on the ground when the plane is taking off and when it's idling and things like that. But the more of it, ninety percent. Is the emissions that's causing global warming as it's flying around up there?
2: hmm That's right.
0: Now let me ask you something that's just coming to my mind, and we hadn't talked about before too, and that is large ships. What part do they play in all of this?
2: Uh, I think the ship uh, properly, you know, say for the United States, uh, count for about uh, three, you know, three percent of total emissions, However. Okay uh if you're uh living you know once again uh that depends on where you live if you're uh, living n- next to a big uh seaport right so those the emissions from the ship definitely you know dominated also uh you know for the aircraft emissions and ship emissions uh you know this is not really a american issue right it's okay. not because you know we're talk about uh the majority of the emissions. Uh, being occur in the open ocean, right? So, and also in the higher altitude. So those are, you know, we need the international, international collaborations, right? To, to address those problems.
0: Max, now I know you've done a lot of work around nanoparticle pollution from vehicles, which again is a very prominent public health problem. Can you tell us more about what nanoparticles are, what they do and the impact of these particles on our lungs and our bodies?
2: So nanoparticle typically we refer to the particles smaller than uh in diameter uh, uh hundred nanometer in in diameter. Uh you know, how typically uh when you you know our our vision limit is about 50 micron, right? So uh, 100 nanometers is, uh, you know, uh, several other, you know, magnitude smaller than that. So it's something that we will not see. We will not see. Uh, however, because they are so tiny, uh, they can penetrate deeper into the lung, uh, and then they can get into the, into the blood circulation, and then, then the health effect become more systemic. Uh, but also, you know, our you know, human body does not really have a natural defense mechanisms to get rid of them. So that's why it's a concern. Uh, uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, they you know there are a lot of them by count, uh, but they don't carry a lot of mass. So there's you know in the scientific community there's still a debate over you know you know whether the quantity of the particle uh, matter more than the mass of particles. So, but in the last time, uh, you know, the modern vehicles and also aircraft, you know, emits way more uh, nanoparticles uh, than the larger ones.
0: Where do we come into contact most often with the nanoparticles?
2: Actually from vehicle emissions. Uh, you know, we, you know, because we live with traffic, right? So right. we all live with traffic. That's our major source of uh, exposure to nanoparticle.
0: So we can't, we really can't avoid them. We, we are all getting them. We're going to have to get them as yeah. long as we drive combustion right. engine vehicles. Yes. Let's go ahead and go to break. And we'll be back after that with Dr. Max Zoom from Cornell. And he's going to tell us about the effect of the types of fuel on these nanoparticles that go deep, deep into our lungs and body. Thank you. We'll be right back. We wanna give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo conferences, film festival, and interactive experiences. For EarthX, Earth Day is every day. So join the movement, keep in touch, and add to the conversation at EarthX League. Go to their website, earthx.org, to register and start talking. And you can also find information, and actually view their World Ocean Day conference that occurred last week. Our other sponsor is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority, or the Dallas-Fort Worth area and surrounding communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole food markets, natural grocers, and central markets. As well, you can read it online at nadallas.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living Healthy Planet Radio. And we're back with Dr. Max Zung from Cornell University, and he's talking to us about the worst polluters cars or planes. He's pretty much told us they're both pretty bad. Before the break Again, we were talking a lot about the nanoparticles, and we pretty much established that they're all around us. We cannot avoid them as long as they are cars. And a question that came to mind briefly, because we do want to get to some of your, the exciting work you've done, but that is how does the type of fuel that we use affect the nanoparticles?
2: It's not just the fuel, right? Uh, if you look at the, you know, how we, uh, how those nanoparticles are formed, right? Uh, For example, uh, sulfur uh, is a precursor uh, to those nanoparticles. And, uh, you know, the United States has done a really good job in, you know, reducing the sulfur content in the fuel. You know, for example, you know, u to be we have 500 ppm of sulfur in diesel. Now it's, uh, you know, below uh, 15 ppm. However, uh, you know, researchers find out that Actually, even with the very, you know, so-called ultra-low sulfur diesel, a lot of sulfur actually comes from the lubrication it. So, you know, it turned out the lubrication oil contributes more to the nanoparticle, uh, at least from a precursor perspective uh, to the nanoparticle formation. So we really had to, you know, look at this problem, you know, more, you know, systematic way uh, in order to uh, mitigate.
0: Getting rid of fuels, right? If
2: we were to go, electric cars do not emit nanoparticles, right? <laughs> so the air pollution problem actually won't go away with an uh, electric vehicle. Uh, I think uh, uh, Dr. Hebel already mentioned that, you know, because you still have the upstream uh, emissions right. from power generation. But even from the vehicle side, uh, so we still got a particles and some, you know, some are a nanoparticle from, from brakes, from tire, from, and from road dust. Uh, so uh, the airports won't completely, you know, go away with the electric car. Of course, it's going to, you know, be reduced by quite a lot. So
0: people, planes, and automotives are, are really more deeply connected together than other polluters. So tell us about this connection.
2: There's a, a very stunning, uh, to me at least, uh, they take the saying about a 10% of the schools in the United States actually located within 100 meters from major roadways which is uh, quite surprising. You know, I, you know, when I walk uh, my son to school every morning, I keep, you know, think about, you know, I'm lucky enough to, uh, you know, to send my son to a school not close to a highway, but at the same time, you know, 10% is way too much.
0: I pass by schools, and you look at line of cars trying to get any of the drop-off kids, A morning and afternoon, and that has to add a lot to that as well. And then some schools actually will have buses and vans and things like that. It's all about the transport issue, isn't it? Yes. Now, Max, um, how are you able to tell the amount of pollution that's being emitted by the various transportation pollution sources? How do you measure it, and can you describe this in a way that ordinary folks can understand?
2: We we typically measure the uh, vehicle emissions uh, in a lab uh, with a big equipment uh, called the dynamometer. Uh, you can imagine as a rotating drum or rotating cylinder where you can have a car wheel turning uh, without mm-hmm. actually moving. Right? Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So and then you have a you typically have a very specific driving so-called a driving cycle. Mm-hmm. You know when you accelerate, when you deaccelerate. Uh, and then we can we can capture the emission from the tube pipe. Uh but but there's one problem uh, is that it's so uh, prescribed so that the uh, computer in the vehicle can tell whether you know the vehicle is being operated on a dynamometer facility or not. So actually that's why that's where the you know Volkswagen uh, cheated on their emission testing. Uh, because it can tell uh, whether, you know, the car is is actually driving on the road or driving in a lab. Uh So there's an alternative way uh, that's been promoted by many agencies across the world. This is called PEM, Portable Emission Management System. So basically you have all the emission sampling equipment on the car while a car is driving on the road. So the, car, so the driving condition is the real world conditions. So that's how that's actually how the high emission from Volkswagen diesel vehicle being captured is through this so-called the uh, you know portable emission management.
0: System. That's fascinating. Well, let's turn though now to how we can mitigate some of this pollution again, which at this point seems to be among our greatest health risk. Yet we can't get away from it. So what are some of the ways that? that you're working on now and that people are working on now and some of the things that are on the horizon for saving lives with cleaner alternatives. And um, tell us about the studies you've conducted in this arena and some of your findings as well.
2: Um, so, you know, firstly, I will, uh, I will call there are active uh, emission control. Uh, also, there's a passive mitigation strategies. By active, I mean we are reducing the 2 emissions, right? So uh, for electric cars, I think still, uh is a prom is a promising way to reduce the traffic emissions uh, but at the same time we need to uh, have a renewable electricity to power the vehicle right? so uh on the passive side um you know my research has been working on how we can design highways how we can how we can plan trees what i call the green uh infrastructure near highways uh to mitigate uh the impact from the on the traffic. Uh, this is
0: like when you're driving down a major highway, but all you see on both sides of the streets are lots and lots of trees.
2: Right. So a, provide a you know filtration, uh, but at the same time, they're also going to uh, decrease the dispersion a little bit. So, uh, so my point is always design matters. So we have to find the optimal design of the green infrastructure. So to to filter out as much emission as, uh, as, po- as uh, possible, but still maintaining uh, a proper amount of ventilation for the highway.
0: Now you said how to design highways. Were you talking about where they're situated? Or is there something out there that you can put into the material of which highways are made that might can suck up or absorb? That is amazing.
2: <laughs> there are research uh especially in europe uh being you know who you know which have been exploring the you know the uh emission absorption capability of different materials uh, but i think it's still on the research stage uh so uh the motivation of my research is how we can uh we can capture those particles say by trees uh or and then or uh to enhance the vertical uh the uh vertical mixing uh you know i was saying the solution to pollution is dilution. <laughs> so, I
0: like that. Is that original?
2: <laughs> no, that's no, that's I quote. It, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's very famous uh, quote uh, in the air air pollution world.
0: Okay, the so solution to pollution is dilution. Yes. And so, tell us what are you working on, and what do you see going forward, though, within that within that very interesting phrase.
2: So for example, we have been found, you know, we, we have found that uh, if we plant tree next to uh, the stone wall or no, noise barriers, uh, it can actually become quite effective uh, in reducing the air pushing impact on the highway. The reason is that the solid surface uh, from the noise barrier uh, So literally, push the plume up in the air, so serving as a uh, enhancing dilution mechanism. And uh, the tree next to the sun wall uh, provides surface area uh, for those particles to deposit, you know, serving as a filtration mechanism. So we can actually combine uh, this, you know, enhanced mixing uh, and plus uh, filtration. to to mitigate uh, the traffic impact.
0: Max, what can ordinary people do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions to our transportation pollution problem? One of the things we always like to do on the show is put that out there, because there's a sense people tend to think that it's too big, it's all around us, there's nothing little old me can do. We submit to the proposition that everyone can do something.
2: Well, I think as a consumer, you know, when we purchase a vehicle or when we choose our transportation mode, we are making a statement, right? So I'm always being stunned by, I don't know, if you are, you know, if I ask you the question, what are the, what is the best selling vehicle in the United States? Best selling
0: vehicle? In
2: the United uh, I think
0: States. it's pickup trucks.
2: Yes. <laughs> so you know, what, is second, what is the second best selling vehicle in the United States? Sure, but i love teslas <laughs> it's also a pickup truck what's the third best uh, selling vehicle in the united states if
0: it's not a pickup it's probably
2: an suv it's also a pickup truck so the top <laughs> yeah. three selling uh best selling vehicle in the united states all pickup trucks so that's why i think uh, we all we can make a difference uh you know by making the right choices by making environmental uh benign choices in our in choosing our transportation modes
0: Indeed. Thank you so much for that. Max, you've been so helpful and given us a lot of information that we did not know about. This has been um, Dr. Max Zung at Cornell University helping us unpack the worst polluters. Thank you so much. We look forward to you joining us again in the future on our show. And Thank thank you, listeners, for listening to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Thank you again, listeners. Thank you, guests. And join us again next week for more on environmental impacts and health influences. Thank you.